I have always, always loved churches. And before I learned to love the people in the church, what I really loved about the church was the way that it looked. When I was a kid, I used to love going to Sunday worship, not to hear what the old guy said up in the pulpit, but because it was a room unlike any other room I had ever been. The ceiling was high, it was wide, there was a beautiful cross, there were windows I could look out and imagine what God's kingdom might look like one day. I loved going to church as a kid. And as I got older, I loved church even more. When I got my driver's license, the first place I ever drove by myself was to my home church. I walked into the main doors and I sat down in the sanctuary. And not because I was a particularly pious child. It's not like I went up to the altar and I knelt down and poured out my soul and confessed to God. No, I just liked it. It was quiet. It was different. It was unlike any other place in my life. So even when I went to college, if you couldn't find me uh, in the library or in one of my classes or at my house, there was a pretty good chance if you drove to the local United Methodist Church, you could find me. I know, becoming a pastor seems like a strange thing. <laughs> when I was in seminary, I played for a, a Christian band. We would practice on Wednesday nights in anticipation of worship on Sunday mornings. And I used to drive early to that church on Wednesday nights just so I could sit in that sanctuary by myself for a couple minutes before the rest of the band arrived. And it was on one such Wednesday night, I was sitting up by the altar, not doing anything in particular, when I heard the doors outside the sanctuary bust open. I heard someone running, and they were screaming. And so I stood up, and I made my way down the center aisle, and through the back doors ran the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. And he was I mean, it sounded like an animal. He was screaming, and he was yelling, and he was sobbing, and we ran toward each other in that center aisle, and I tried to ask what was going on. I tried to ask if he was okay, and the more I confronted him, the more I tried to soothe him, the louder, and the more he wailed. And so finally, I grabbed him by the shoulders, and I said, what's your name? And he stepped back from me for a second. And as if he was answering my question with a question, he said, I'm Marcus? I said, okay, Marcus, tell me what's going on. For the next 15 minutes, Marcus shared with me about how that very morning he and his wife had gone to the doctor and they heard the baby's heartbeat for the first time. And that he went home and instead of being filled with joy and with expectation and with hope, he was terrified. Because he thought not about what might happen to the baby, but he thought about what would happen to the baby if he died as a father. He couldn't imagine, he couldn't even bear the thought about what that child's life would be like without a dad. And so all day, he skipped work, he didn't eat any food, he found himself wandering around the community, till at the, that moment before he had come into the church, he started running and screaming because he was so overwhelmed by this emotion that he was feeling. Until so he ran into the church, he told me he had never set foot in a church in his life, nor did he ever want to go to a church in his life. And he didn't know why he was there standing with me in that moment, but that he was afraid. So I said, Marcus, can I pray for you? He said, I guess so. <laughs> so I wrapped my arms around this big man, and I prayed softly and tenderly into his ear. And when I said amen, 
he turned and walked out almost as quickly as he had arrived. And I tell you, for a moment, I thought it didn't actually happen. I thought maybe it had been a figment of my imagination. Maybe it had been an angel that God had sent into my life. I didn't even tell the band what had happened right before they got there. Two weeks later, I was driving to that same church for band practice when I saw Marcus walking around in the community. And before I knew what I was doing, I was pulling my car over to the side of the road and unbuckling my seatbelt, and I started running down the road, and I shouted, Marcus! Marcus! And he turned around, and he looked at me as if he was a completely different person. And we talked. I embraced him, and he told me about how he went home that night, and he started to feel different that he had woken up with his wife and he tried to listen to the heartbeat against her belly and he was trying to think about it differently. He said, I don't know who the hell that God was you were praying to, but I feel like something has changed in my life. We talked a little bit longer and I got ready to say goodbye. I turned around and I took a step in the other direction and he grabbed me by the arm and he said, one more thing. Thanks for remembering my name. Names are perhaps the most important thing we have. Names. Because Moses, this man that we were just reading about with Bob, this man is walking in the wilderness. He has left everything behind out of fear. And he encounters this burning bush. And the bush doesn't say, hey, you guy. Doesn't even say, hey, you Hebrew. The bush says, Moses. Moses. And what follows is perhaps the most well-known story in the entire Old Testament. This burning bush calls out to Moses. says, take your shoes off for you are standing on holy ground. The bush says to Moses, I have something for you to do. You need to deliver my people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And there's always a big but. Because Moses says, but... Lord, when I go, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. I am the God of your ancestors of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Tell them, I am who I am sent you. The name of God is I am who I am. Yahweh in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. We, in big theological terms, call that the tetragrammaton. Because it's four letters, four grammatical letters. I am who I am, Yahweh. For most Jews, that name is so precious that they never, ever say it. They don't even write it down. They use other words to talk about the Lord, like Lord and Adonai and God. In the Christian tradition, we have no qualms with saying the name that God revealed to Moses. So we say Yahweh. But that name is precious. It is so unlike anything else that perhaps we should take our shoes off when we encounter this one who is different. Whenever I've heard this story, whenever I've heard it preached about or I've read about it, it's always all about Moses. Moses is the one shepherding. Moses is the one who sees the burning bush. Moses is the one given a command. Moses learns the name of God. But friends, this is a story about far more than Moses this is a story about God. And not just about God, but about the holiness of God. This is a name that we could not have found on our own. 
No amount of searching through prayer or spiritual disciplines would have revealed this to us. Only God can reveal God's self. God alone can tell us who God is. And what does God say? I am who I am. That is like the most non-name name I've ever heard. Can you imagine Moses returning to the slaves and saying, Friends, don't worry. I am who I am sent me to save you. What kind of name is I am? What's the purpose of a name? Do we name individuals to distinguish them from others? Do we give family names to our children in order to stroke our egos and pretend that we're living forever through them? Do we give nicknames to people to build them up or to break them down? What's in a name? I have been in enough hospital rooms to hear doctors refer to their patients not by Mrs. Smith or Mr. Jones, but by a room number, or even worse, by the disease that they have. There are plenty of people in this world who are judged and are named simply because of something like the color of their skin or their political persuasion or their sexual orientation without their names ever even being mentioned. Names are important. Names are important in our everyday lives, whether it's learning the names of our neighbors or our classmates or our co-workers, even when we learn the names of the people in the pews next to us right now. Learning the name of the other and actually using it breaks down walls and barriers that often lead us to judge rather than to listen. Learning the name of the other and using it prevents them from remaining a stranger in our life. Learning the name of another builds a bridge into something new instead of running away in the other direction. When God says to Moses, I am who I am, he bridges this divide between the divine and humanity. But at the same time, God allows for there to be a mystery. There is a mystery to who God is simply because God is unlike us. Knowing God's name reveals a little bit of God, but it also shrouds a little bit of God to us. God said to Moses, I am who I am. But God also said much more than that because God said, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. I am the God of your ancestors. I am the God of your people. Over and over again in Scripture, we learn that God knows and calls people, people like you and me, by our names. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Hannah, Samuel, Saul, David, Mary, Martha, Peter, Emmett, Bob, Leah, Eunice, Lindsay, Michael, Robert. Over and over again, God calls God's people by name. God knows our names. And the least we can do is know what God's name is in return. If you've turned uh, your television on or you've read a newspaper or you've gotten on Twitter or on Facebook this week, I'm sure you've seen images of what has happened and what is continuing to happen in Houston. It is just devastating. When they show these before and after pictures and you see just how high the water really got, when you see the satellite images of what Houston looked like the day before, what it looked like in the midst of the storm, what it looks like now, it is awful. And while it is so awful, people are clamoring to news outlets and to get online to berate those in charge, saying you didn't respond the right way. You weren't there quick enough. 
You're not spending enough money. And it's all negative. I spent some time this week watching videos of people taking their boats to rescue people. Have you seen any of this? Going down streets that normally are supposed to have cars on them, but they're deep enough that they can drive a boat. And they go from house to house to house. They bang on doors. They rip them open trying to save as many people as they can. And I watched video after video after video, and I was struck by the strangest thing. The first thing the rescuer says to those being rescued is, what is your name? Before ever even trying to assess the situation, before grabbing them, throwing them over their shoulder, before doing just about anything else, these people who are risking their lives take the time to say, what's your name? Because names are important. I mean, think about that for just a second. Imagine if you can being in such a situation that you are terrified, that you don't know what's going to happen to you. Whether the waters are up to your waist or your wife is going to give birth in a couple months, think about being terrified and someone saying, what's your name? Because that changes the perspective. That makes that other a brother. It makes that stranger a sister. What's your name? God calls Moses by name before God ever reveals God's name to him. I am who I am shows up in our lives all the time. And usually at the strangest of moments. We could be out shepherding in a field. We could be sitting in a sanctuary. Or we could be waiting to be rescued in a flooded house. When I am who I am shows up. And we can trust Yahweh. We can trust I am who I am for the same reason that Moses could. Because I am who I am is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Our God is a God of story, who made a covenant with our ancestors, who delivered God's people out of slavery in Egypt, who delivered people like us out of our slavery to sin and death. I am who I am is the one revealed to us in Jesus Christ. I am who I am is the spirit who lives and moves and gives us our life. I am who I am is mysterious and intimate. I am who I am comes to us in a piece of bread and in a cup. I am who I am is the mystery of the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. I am who I am is as close to us as the person sitting next to us and as mysterious as the person sitting next to us. I am who I am is the name of God who calls us by name. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.